So I got a big question for you that I want you to ponder a little bit as we, as we uh, walk through this morning. What would you say is God's ultimate goal for all of time in the entire universe? It's <laughs> a big question. What would you say? I don't want you to answer. I want you to think. What is God's ultimate goal for all of time in all of the universe? Big question. Like God, God does so often, like God does so often, He's been working on this ultimate goal for thousands of years. And He's been working on it in steps. He's been, he, God is a God of process. And I'm excited this morning we're going to walk through this epic process of how God has been moving towards the ultimate goal that he has for the world that he's created. So do you remember when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, right? God's people are enslaved for 400 years. And so God uses Moses to go and rescue them. And God takes them out of Egypt and he brings them to where? To the desert. And in the desert, he starts to form his, he starts to form his people. He starts to create a culture amongst his people, a culture that reflects him and who he is. But God does something amazing. He says, in the middle of camp, so they're camping in a desert, right? In the middle of camp, I want you to build a special building. And I want you to build a, a building that has a, a room inside of a room inside of a room. You remember what this building is called? The tabernacle. Do you know what the word tabernacle means? The word tabernacle literally means residence. It means a dwelling place. So God says, I want you to build me a residence right in the middle of camp. And when they build this residence in this inner room, God's presence literally comes and dwells there with the, the Jewish people for 40 years. And as they get up and move around, they pick up the tent, the tabernacle, and it's mobile. <laughs> Pretty big tent. But it's mobile, and he moves around, and God continues to be with them, literally with them. And when Moses doesn't know what to do, he goes to the tabernacle. He calls it the place of meeting, and he goes and he meets with God. And God instructs him. And God takes his people and starts to form them into a culture. And the Ten Commandments come, right, on Mount Sinai. And the Jewish people celebrate this as, the, as they call it Pentecost. is the day that they celebrate, one of the seven feasts where they celebrate the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law. Because it was part of how God was forming his people to be of his culture, right? But when God is with you, it changes everything. When God was with the Jewish people, living in, with his presence in this tabernacle, it, it changed everything. So what happens when, when the Jewish people go and they get into the promised land? What does God have them build in the promised land? Just like the tabernacle, fashioned exactly after the tabernacle in downtown Jerusalem. What is it? It's the temple. The temple is fashioned just like the tabernacle, and it functioned exactly the same way. It's a room inside a room inside a room. And on the temple mount, 
in the middle of this inner, inner room called the Holy of Holies, God promised that this is where I will come and dwell. My presence will always be there with you in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. Well, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that, that, that moves this idea of God being with us farther, farther forward. In Ezekiel 36, 26, this is what the prophet Ezekiel says. Something wild. Ezekiel says, on behalf, well, Ezekiel says that God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my ways. Whose job is it to get you to move you to follow God's ways? Is it your job? I think we think it's our job. It's actually not your job. It's God's job. It's God's job through His Spirit to move you to follow His ways. Do you live like that? Is that the culture of how you follow the Lord? It's pretty incredible reliance on His Spirit. So we fast forward. What, what, what is the, what's the next big thing that happens? Well, God Himself, God Himself comes in the flesh. God himself puts himself in a human body in the person of Jesus, the incarnation. Talk about God being with us, right? And when God is with us, it changes everything. I mean, would you say that Jesus' presence here changed everything? So we get to see a picture of God in a way that we can understand, and God is with us, and God is with the disciples And he starts to create this whole culture that's kind of the same as the Old Testament, but it's got some new parts to it, right? But God does it by being with us. And then Jesus dies. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem. And just down the road from where he's crucified is the temple. And when Jesus is crucified, something amazing happens at the temple. You remember this? Jesus dies. But over here at the temple, there's an earthquake. And something happens in the temple. This gigantic curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies, right? Where, where Jesus is, or where the Father's presence dwells. That curtain is torn from top to bottom. The holy of holies is ripped open. Coincidence? No, what, what does this mean? What is happening? Why when Jesus dies would the holy of holies be ripped open? It's a powerful symbol of a reality that is about to take place. Because you see, God's presence that dwelled in the Holy of Holies, it's about to go viral. The Holy of Holies 
was where the presence of God lived. But now the presence of God is leaving the temple and is going to move into a new temple. Some of you are tracking with me. Some of you are curious what the new temple is. Right? But the curtain gets torn in half. And it's not like the Holy Spirit only lived in the temple, right? He, he was moving all around, but his presence was also constantly in this place of the Holy of Holies. And here's where we're going to go and, and turn to the book of Acts, which is where we've been walking through. So I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Get out your Bibles, get out your phones. We're going to go backwards just for a second. We're going to go back. We're going to eventually get to chapter 2, but I want to remind you a couple of things that happened in chapter 1. So go down to chapter 1, verse 4. So Jesus is resurrected, right? He spends 40 days here showing up to all kinds of people, 500 people at one time, talking with his disciples and all of his followers. But he says something really powerful in verse 4. This is, what it, this is what Jesus says. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. There's a gift coming. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for this gift the Father has promised, which, I, which you have heard me speak of. I don't know if the disciples knew what he was talking about yet, but I think that it was really clear that whatever is going to happen in the, in the following days, we are, Jesus is telling us not to leave Jerusalem, right? If you go down to verse 8, Jesus tells them a little more. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit's coming in a new way, and it's going to be a gift. And then we turn to chapter 2. And I, just, I put myself in God's place and I go, this is, this is one of those moments that God has been waiting for for all of time. He cannot wait for this moment to happen. In fact, he has been foreshadowing and working and doing all the things so that what is about to happen can happen. That's how big, that's how big this is. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 it says, when the day of Pentecost came, so this Jewish festival, it says they were all together in one place. So all of Jesus' followers, his disciples, the apostles, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. You ever been in a violent windstorm that just comes up out of nowhere? I mean, we get that here in Colorado a lot. I don't know exactly what it was like, but they're in a room and all of a sudden the windows are blowing and the doors are blowing open and there is this violent rushing wind. A violent 
wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. But they saw something they'd never seen. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I don't know what that looks like. Tongue, you've ever watched a fire and you see all the little tongues of fire? That's what I think of when I think of tongues of fire. But all of a sudden, wind is now producing fire. That must have been wild. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I don't know if that's on their head or on their body or... I wonder what that looked like. But all of a sudden, there's this fire. And they've got to be a little bit (laughs) bewildered. I mean, overwhelmed, curious. So how would you feel if you're sitting in this room and a wind comes and all of a sudden... You see all these things. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder what that felt like. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God that used to be living in the Holy of Holies now invades this room on Pentecost and in fact invades them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're not going to walk through this whole story, but the Spirit fills them. And they start to speak. And there's all these people from all these other nations and languages in town. And they start to see this, this thing that's happening at this house. And these people start to hear in their own language these people, Jesus' disciples, speaking of the wonders of God. So they don't just hear them talking like every day. They hear them talking in their own language about the wonders of God. And there starts to be this stir, like, what is happening in this house? And it seems like it goes on for a while because more and more people come and more and more people come. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit for the first time, apparently, He hasn't prepared a sermon, but boy, he gives a sermon. And he preaches to these thousands of people that are gathered outside this house. Or maybe it seems like they've moved to another place. We're not quite sure how this all plays out. But he preaches to 3,000 people, it says. I would encourage you this week to go and read what what he preaches. But the amazing thing is that he didn't prepare this. All of a sudden, it just comes out of him. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up and is within you, it changes everything. And it says all 3,000 of these people were cut to the heart. And they go, what must we do to be saved? I want you to go down to verse 32 in chapter 2. This is part of how Peter's sermon ends. Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are witnesses of the fact and exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the Holy Spirit and has now poured out what you now see and hear. So he explains to them on the fly what is happening. That the Spirit has been 
given to Jesus, and Jesus has poured it out now onto us. Verse 38, Peter replied replied to the people when they say, "What, what must we do? And Peter says in response, repent. Turn back to God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, too, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, including us, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks as we continue to walk through the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit invades and starts to work through people, God's kingdom, God's family starts to explode with life, with generosity, with a new way of living, with power. It's going to be a beautiful thing, what we're going to be able to study. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. So when I say the, the, the Holy Spirit's going to move into a new temple, what is the new temple? This is what Paul says. He says, don't you know that you are God's temple? And to a Jewish person, that would have been radical. Because the temple and the tabernacle has been the center of everything for all of this time. Hundreds and hundreds of years. But now Paul is going, God is doing a new thing. And you, you are the temple and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And friends, when God dwells within you, it can change everything. So how does the story end? There there is one more moment that is even bigger than this moment that God cannot wait for. And it hasn't happened yet. But we get a picture of it in Revelation 21. And this is, this is what it says. This is the culmination of God's story. John has this revelation, and John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So the things in heaven, the new Jerusalem, is now coming out of heaven and coming down to earth. This is the end of time, right? Coming down to earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! Look! God's dwelling place is now among His people. Sounds familiar? The tabernacle? The temple? This is the... This is the the finality, and it says he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. With is a really big word. That is what God is ultimately after. What is God's ultimate goal for all of time, for the entire universe? God's goal is that he wants to be with you. And He wants us to be with Him. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. That's heaven, my friends. 
That's what heaven will be like, is that we will be with him, and he will be with us. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be glory and joy like you cannot fathom. Because when God is with us, it changes everything. So I have another question. All of us have experienced this. You've been in a room with a friend. Maybe your spouse, maybe a good friend. And you're there to be with them. But, but we have this thing that we say sometimes to people who are with us who are not really with us. And we say to them, it doesn't really feel like you're with me right now. Right? We've all had that experience. We're, we're, we're with somebody and we, we long to be with them. Like this is our friend, this is our spouse, this is, but they're not with us. They're not present with us. They're distracted on their phone. They're troubled by something. They're, they're ta- maybe they're even talking to you, but you can tell they're not really with you because you say things to them and they give you strange responses. Like, did you really just hear what I said? Like, what is happening right now? You're not with me. Why are you not with me? I so, I'm here to be with you. Right? Some of us feel like elbowing our spouse right now because that happens a lot in marriage. I want to be with you, but you're not with me. And I wonder if that's how the Holy Spirit feels so much of the time. That the Holy Spirit is with you in your body. But the Holy Spirit's going, you're not with me. I want you to be with me. And I just want you to ask yourself, is that, is that true for you? Or how often is that true for you? The Holy Spirit is going, he's here to be with you, but are you with him? Because this is this funny thing. The Holy Spirit can live in you. In fact, every single one of you online or sitting here who have put your faith in the Lord, you've, you've put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into you. He's in you. But I think sometimes we don't engage with Him. And we wonder, well, where is the Holy Spirit? Why, don't I, why can't I hear Him? Why don't I engage with Him? Well, it's not that He's not there. It's that somehow we haven't learned to engage with the very one that is within us. Right? And that's my challenge. I want, to, I, want us, I want to encourage you and challenge you. What does it look like for you as a follower of Jesus to start to engage in a new way with the Spirit that is within you? In the Ultimate Journey, one of our discipleship programs here at BVCC, we spent a ton of time talking and learning about how the Holy Spirit is actually the one designed to be our provider. Like God is going to provide, but the provision is designed to come through the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's role. And so if we go, I, I don't feel like God is providing for me, is part of the problem that we have not learned how to engage with the Holy Spirit and get from Him the provision. And it's so easy to turn around and blame it on God. Well, God, you're not providing for me. 
You said you were going to provide for me, but you're not providing for me. And I just think, I don't think it's God's problem. I think the problem is our problem. Because God has promised he wants to provide. He says, I will provide for all of your needs according to the riches that I have in Christ Jesus. So what does it look like to start to engage with the Holy Spirit that lives within you? Here's a couple of things I want to encourage you to do and to maybe and to think about. When you pray, do you ever pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you ever talk to the Holy Spirit directly? I think a lot of us have never learned how to do that. We talk to the Father. We talk to Jesus. Why don't we pray to the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I hear people pray to God to have God have the Holy Spirit do something for them. I'm like, we're a little confused. We should just be talking straight to the Holy Spirit. Because when we pray, are we, are we praying to God who's up there? You can pray to the Holy Spirit who's, who's right here. Right? It's a game changer for me. When I started to learn how to do this, and somebody just encouraged me, like, why don't you pray to the Holy Spirit? I was like, I don't know why I don't pray to the Holy Spirit. I never learned. Yes, never. But start praying to the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. He is the one that is going to provide. He is the one that encourages. He is the counselor. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus gives Him that title. Right? Here's a funny thing that happens to me. As I've been learning how to follow the Holy Spirit, I seek, the, I seek the Holy Spirit and I ask Him for help with a problem or I ask Him for counsel or I don't know what to do in a situation, but I go, Holy Spirit, you know what I should do or what needs to happen and the timing of it all. So I pray, and then, of course, there's this, it doesn't, the answer doesn't always come right away. So you wait and you continue to pray and you continue to seek. But then I find that somewhere along the way, this idea comes into my head, and I say to myself, all of a sudden, I had a great idea. I'm serious. This is, what you, this is what we do. We've been seeking the Lord for this wisdom, for this timing, for whatever, and then we just have this thought. But I don't think we, we, we realize that it, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. That the Holy Spirit puts thoughts in our heads that are not our thoughts. And I've started to realize this happens to me a whole lot more often than I would ever have guessed. Because I just racked it up to, oh, look at this great idea that I just came up with. I've been pondering for this solution and this thing, even as I've been seeking the, the Lord for it. And then all of a sudden I go, look at this great thought I had. Wow. And in fact, it was the Holy Spirit that put that thought there. The Holy Spirit can speak through dreams. He can speak through other people. He can speak, obviously, through the Scriptures. I remember seeking the Lord for wisdom and what to do, and I'm reading the Scriptures, and all of a sudden I have this thought while I'm reading the Scriptures that has to do with this thing I've been seeking the Lord for, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. And then I go back and I read the Scriptures, like, where did that come from out of the Scriptures? Like, scripture doesn't, the Scripture I was reading doesn't have anything to say about, about that. Well, and the Spirit somehow speaks, even as we read Scripture, about things that are even beyond the Scripture, things we've been seeking the Lord about, right? Another thing I want to encourage you to do, I want to encourage you to pray, but stop talking. 
What does it mean to pray? But just to sit and listen for that gentle, quiet whisper that is the Holy Spirit's voice. And just sit. Just stop talking and just sit in God's presence like Moses sat with the presence of God at the tabernacle, right? Same exact thing. You can be Moses. You can sit with God in the tent of meeting because the tent of meeting is now within you. And just sit with him and see what he says. Where does he direct your thoughts? What does he show you? And the Holy Spirit will guide you. He is the great counselor. And finally, would you be willing to just pray a prayer to the Holy Spirit and just ask him, Holy Spirit, I, I acknowledge your presence in me. And I, I ask you to become more active in me. I want to engage with you. Simply acknowledge that he's within you and go, I, I, I don't know how to engage with you, but I'm realizing that you've been in the room for a long time and I haven't been present with you. I want to start being present with you. I want to start hearing you. I want to start engaging with you and just ask him to. Because it's, it's his job. It's our job to cooperate. It's his job to do the work. It is 100% him and 0% us. We just have to get ourselves in that place where we're willing to cooperate. He does the work. He speaks. He's the one that urges us to follow God's ways. Not us. Let's pray together, and we're going to take communion. Lord, I love that your ultimate goal is that you want to be with me. And how valuable that makes me feel, how precious that makes me feel, how important I must be to you. That your ultimate goal is that you want to be with me. You want to be my counselor. You want to be my friend. So, Father, would you help us? Jesus, thank you for doing all that it took so that your presence could move in us, so that we could be the new temple. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to be active. Show us how you are active in our own souls. Would you help us to start to hear you you help us to start to engage with you, that we would no longer sit in a room with you and not be present with you? Would you teach us in these coming hours and days, what does it mean to sit and be in your presence, to be directed by you, to be encouraged by you, to be provided for by you? Thank you for this day of Pentecost that changed everything that you, Holy Spirit, started to move into your believers. And we get to be the beneficiaries of that all these years later. Thank you for wanting to be with us. Amen.